welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon, and it's Tuesday, July 6th here in New York City. Hope everyone had a very good and fun, relaxing 4th of July holiday weekend. Coming up today on the podcast, we have Game 1 of the NBA Finals tonight, Bucks suns We're going to get into the Bucks series-clinching win over the Hawks on Saturday night. A little preview of the game tonight before doing the first NBA draft prospect preview. We'll be talking about Jalen Suggs, guard from Gonzaga, who's considered one of the top five prospects in the draft this year and one of my favorite players to watch last year in college. So I think that's going to be really fun and should be a good podcast with the game on Saturday. We're going to start with the Bucks winning on Saturday. They clinched the series over the Hawks. They were pretty much handily winning that game. It was the impact of the size. So when Giannis got hurt, Bucks didn't go small to try to match up with Atlanta. They stuck with their size, playing size, playing Brooke Lopez, starting Bobby Portis, and it really, really paid off for them. Lopez, Portis were getting dunk after dunk, layups, offensive rebounds, P.J. Tucker attacking the glass, keeping so many loose balls alive. He's the, he's the classic guy who, if you just look at the box score, and it's 35 minutes, four points, five rebounds, two assists, and four fouls. You wonder why he's playing 35 minutes if you only look at the box score. But when you watch the actual game being played, his impact on the floor can't be counted by the traditional box score stats. He is a winning basketball player. He's a huge, huge part of why the Bucks are in the finals. One of the best acquisitions of the entire season was the Bucks trading for P.J. Tucker. He's so fun to watch. He's so difficult to guard on offense just on the glass, and his relentless, relentless pursuit of the basketball is really, really fun to watch and inspirational at times as well. But the Bucks stuck with, with what they do with their size. They were able to attack the rim really, really well. Holiday and Middleton stepped up again big time, making shots. Holiday, especially driving to the basket, was really impressive, not just relying on tough pull-up jump shots, but getting to the rim, forcing fouls, nice finishes. He's really good going to his left. Kickouts, you know, Holiday and Milton were both really, really strong in this game. And obviously what what, what it really came down to in game six was Trey Young gave it an effort to play with his uh, bone bruise on his foot that he suffered in game three. He gave it an effort, clearly, clearly was not at 100%. There was times where he wasn't moving full speed. There are also other times where he got switches onto Brooke Lopez or Bobby Portis or Connaughton, guys who, when he was healthy earlier in the series, he would he would drive, he would attack, he would definitely try to initiate some offense in that matchup. Make or miss, he would definitely try to initiate something. And in game six, he was given he was given the ball up on those to let someone else attack. And that was really the sign to me that hey, he's he's trying. He's trying to get it out, but just not at 100% was him not attacking those matchups. And so disappointing end for the Hawks. Really, really fun season. Completely turn it around this this off uh, t- Completely turn around in the midseason with, with their coaching change. Bogdanovich got healthier. Young started playing at a much higher level. It was just a really fun season for Atlanta. A lot to build on from here. They've already solved one of their off-season question marks with Nate McMillan. 
it was just a question over would he want to return to, to the Hawks or could he go get a different job in the NBA, a, a, maybe a job that, that, that he considered to be a, a better job than Atlanta, but they have decided to, to name him the permanent head coach of Atlanta, something that he has totally deserved. The fact that Indiana let him go last year after the bubble was just confusing when it happened, and it just has remained even more confusing as Indiana fired their coach after one year, and they just hired Rick Carlisle, but really good decision to lock in Nate McMillan. I think he's a really, really good basketball coach. And then the next decision they have to make is about John Collins and his contract because Collins is a big part of this team, really good player, but there are only so many max contract quality guys in the NBA and they just have to decide, do they think John Collins is, is worth that money right now? And, and how much better do they think he can get? Because he's a really good player, but it's but it's all about to, to winning a championship. Do, can, can we have him on, on that type of contract? So we'll see. Atlanta has a lot of ways to improve this offseason. And first and foremost, it starts with how much better does Trey Young get? He's gotten better every year so far in the NBA. So if, so if Trey just keeps getting better and Bogdanovich keeps getting better, their first-round pick, Okongwu, if, if he gets better, Herder, they have all these young guys who if they keep getting better and improving, this could be a team to contend with in the Eastern Conference for many years to come. On the Bucks side, now it gets interesting. Now they're playing the Suns. The Suns have had a really interesting postseason. Talked about before, but they start, they get the two seat, but they get the Lakers. And so they're at the Lakers. Remember that the, the start of the playoffs were the betting favorites to not only make the finals of the Western Conference, but to win the championship. Chris Paul in their game one win of the Lakers hurts his shoulder. The Lakers win game two and three because Paul comes back. He's not 100%, not really shooting. Then Anthony Davis hurts his groin, and that flips the whole series. The Suns win that one. Then they sweep the Nuggets. The Nuggets obviously didn't have Jamal Murray. Jokic gets ejected in game four, all that stuff, but but the Suns win that series. And then comes in the day after game four, it turns out, or day or two after, Chris Paul seemingly tested positive for the coronavirus. He's in the protocols. He's he's out 10, 12 days right at the start of the series. You're batting the Clippers who don't have Kawhi Leonard, but no Chris Paul on, on their side as well. Then Booker breaks his nose. It's been a weird, interesting uh, playoffs for, for them. But they are in the finals, and now they are facing the Eastern Conference champions, the Milwaukee Bucks, who are also dealing with a major injury right now, and they don't have their two-time MVP. Malika Andrews just reported that Giannis has been upgraded from doubtful to questionable. Malika is a really, really good reporter. She used to, before she became more of the the national reporter that she is right now, she used to write about the Bucks and, and the Bulls a lot. So, so, so she has experience with this organization that when she's reporting about the Bucks, it's usually very accurate. And so when Giannis goes from doubtful to questionable. This is reminding me a lot of James Harden. When Harden was out to questionable to playing, maybe Giannis will play tonight because this series, you know, a theme of this podcast is don't overreact to game ones, right? Game ones, teams feel each other out, coming off the series, figuring out the rotations, all that stuff. Game ones matter, but now don't overreact to anything. But it's it doesn't take a genius to say if Giannis doesn't play, it's going to be really hard for the Bucks to win this series. The Suns are really good. Obviously, they don't have their two-time MVP, one of the five or six best players in the entire world. But if Giannis is healthy, and if Giannis is active, and if Giannis 
if he's back and he is able to drive by players, if he is still able to attack the rim, if he is still able to defensive rebound and to switch, even if he's only 80-85% and not at his full peak of powers, that is that could be just enough for, for Milwaukee because the way basketball works and the way sports work is sometimes, you know, teams revert to the mean, right? Eventually, the law of big numbers, eventually you get back to average. You get back to your average over the large sample size. And the Bucks have shot really, really poorly from three, not just this postseason, but the last three postseasons. They have shot below their regular season level. Now, you could say more intense defense, more uh, tuned in to the sky report from the other team, knowing to take away shooters, but also with some of the advanced stats, you could say what were the expected points on this versus what they got. The the, the like sort of the, the luck element of shooting because of the timing of shots as well. It's been proven that the Bucks have just been unlucky from three, like the last three postseasons. How many more series in a row can the Bucks shoot below their level from three? I don't know. I don't know how many more it will be, but I'm guessing and wondering if in this series, if they get back to their average and they shoot better, and this is their good series from three, where they are shooting the ball from three really well because the Suns, as we've talked about, they have shooters. They have a lot of shooters. But if the Bucks are making shots, and that means Holiday's making them, Middleton, Forbes, Collinson off the bench, Lopez, Portis—they have shooters as well. But if, the, but when, but and then when they start shooting well, Giannis can attack the rim, and then and then they look amazing on offense. But so much of it is if they are hitting their shots and hitting their open shots, the Bucks are a hard team to stop. But it's going to come down to defensively again for Milwaukee. It's going to be really interesting to see in Game One, just like in the Atlanta series. How is Brook Lopez guarding the pick and rolls? With Chris Paul. Differently than Trey Young, because Trey Young is a master at getting closer to the rim with those little floater and uh, flick shots and crafty layups. Chris Paul is really, really good at coming off the screen, pull up mid range, crossovers into mid range, little spins into mid range. Chris Paul is more of a mid range jump shooter, while Trey Young is a floater player. So it'll be really interesting to see. Is Lopez in drop coverage? How far back is he? Are they going to live with Chris Paul mid-range jump shots, which is would be interesting because that's like his that's like his go-to shot. Re- that's going to be something really interesting. If you're going to look for one thing in Game One, look at how the Bucks are guarding those trade. Sorry, how the Bucks are guarding those Chris Paul pick and rolls where Lopez is in on the action. Because with Giannis, they can switch. Middleton switch. How are they guarding it? You know, Portis likes to be up and either switch or trap, but how are they guarding with Lopez? Because Lopez is such a good rim protector, and him on Aiton is going to be a really big deal in this series as well. But how is he guarding those pick and rolls? So, so, so that would be the if there's going to be one thing to look for. Besides, obviously, if Giannis is healthy, how healthy does he look? But if he doesn't play, but if Giannis does or doesn't play, the pick and roll defense by Milwaukee is going to be something really, really interesting to to look into because. No matter what they do in game one, they will probably adjust the rest of the series. Some It may be a big adjustment, like against Brooklyn, or it could be like Atlanta, where just little adjustments. But they will definitely do something differently from game one, unless it works perfectly. 
But it's it's one of those such a tough plays with Chris Paul because he's so good in the pick and roll and such a good mid range jump shooter that most likely they whatever they're they I'm guessing they're gonna go out in their drop coverage in game one their traditional one and and see how it goes. But it may be one where it's like Atlanta where they have Lopez just a little higher in that drop and and force some some passes away to to some other guys that are not Chris Paul. But I'm really excited for it. That game tips off nine o'clock ABC tonight. Good series, even though it's not LA, LA or LA, Boston, New York, still going to be a really good series. Now we're going to get on to the NBA draft preview. Love the NBA draft. It's always really fun to think about the potential and, and the possibility, future all-stars and what guys may become. The first guy we're going to talk about and preview today, and we're going to go through some more of these as we build up to the draft later this month is the first player is Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga, 6'4", point guard, 205-plus athlete. He is he was the Minnesota Gatorade Boys Basketball Player of the Year while he was in high school. He also was the school's quarterback on the football team and reportedly had a lot of interest in scholarship offers from some major Big Ten and college football programs. So this guy is a really, really good athlete as well. He is... A point guard, definitely in the NBA. He's not a combo guard at at six four, but at Gonzaga and Gonzaga was thirty one and one last year. Great season. He he was fourteen and a half points a game, five rebounds, four and a half assists on fifty percent field goal, thirty four percent from three, and seventy five percent from the free throw line. So we're gonna start with 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 the pros of Jalen Suggs because he has a lot of pros right now. He has great size for his for his position. Six foot four. He's not undersized by any means. And he's a plus athlete. That means quickness, vert verticality. He has good he has good hands, good vision. He is a he he fits in with the NBA. You don't have to worry about his athleticism in the NBA. The one question mark is I don't think he was at the combine. So in terms of wingspan and and, and like the testing measurements like that to be seen. But he has really good size. He competes extremely, extremely hard. When you watch his film at Gonzaga, he is making a concerted effort to guard on defense. He makes a concerted effort to rotate on defense, concerted effort to defensive rebound. He is really good in the passing lanes. He's, he's clued in to the scout report. There was one play against Oklahoma. I believe that was the second round where they're on the baseline out of bounds and he's guarding one of the guys and it's traditional baseline out of bounds where there's four guys on the baseline and one guy drifts out to the three-point line to so get thrown over the top to engage the action. Well, Suggs knows that it's coming. He kind of fakes that he's going to front and then immediately scoops behind the player so that he can beat him to the ball, tips it, and he was going to dunk it, but he got pushed in the back and got an intentional foul. He is clued in. Really, really impressive from a freshman. You always say, like, the freshman, it takes him a little longer on defense. Suggs is really good at that. Timing passes in the passing lane. Jumping in for, for steals. Really impressive that part defensively. And he competes for rebounds. He's a point guard getting five rebounds a game. That's impressive. Offensively, winning program at Gonzaga that plays in a very high tempo modern style of offense and kind of NBA like with extreme pace 
where if they get the ball, they don't just slowly dribble it up, but they grab the ball in the net, push the ball up the court, hit ahead passes, immediate, you know, look to attack. If not, swing, handoff, swing, dribble, you know, in, into dribble into pick and roll, stuff like that. Usually play with another ball handler on the court in I, I, either in Joel Ayai, in Andrew ne- uh, Nemhart. So Suggs is used to running the lane because in the NBA, that's kind of the NBA style now is to have multiple ball handlers on the court and not just one point guard. Suggs is used to running the floor and not just getting the ball every single time and having to initiate the offense. Played with a lot of shooters in college, knowing that, hey, if you drive, you can actually kick to guys. You don't have to take really tough shots, space the floor, and, and spread pick and roll. He is used to that very NBA-style, NBA-like offense in some way, so that should help with his adjustment to the league. He has good shooting potential, right? One of the key indicators for potential shooting success in the NBA is free throw shooting in college. Not really, it's weird, not field goal percentage, not really three-point shooting percentage in college is what matters that much. It matters, but to really get a sign of can someone improve in the NBA shooting-wise is their free throw numbers. And Suggs was a 75% free throw shooter, which is a good number. It gives an indicator that he can improve from three, that he has good shot mechanics, and he has really soft touch on his floaters. His floaters is one of his his best skills because he can drive the basket really well. Guys come over to help. He stops, floater, stops, spin, shots. Really, really good at good at those. And he was one of the key players on this offense. He he took a lot of shots, and these are still good percentages on high volumes, 50% from the field, high volume. Lot to like there. Suggs offers a lot of pros. Now, obviously, every player coming into the draft has things that they want to work on. So we're not going to call them cons or negatives. We're going to call them areas of improvement or question marks, but mainly areas of improvement. Key things that if a player improved 5 to 10%, they that's would take them to be that next level of player. And so for Suggs, he needs to improve his handle a little bit. To be a point guard in the NBA, you have to have a really really good uh, handle on the basketball. Suggs at times would, would lose the ball in traffic or get flustered a little bit by ball pressure. Maybe I'm just overreacting to the Baylor game because Baylor being so good on defense, especially with Mitchell. But the more he can improve his handle, the better chance he has to really stick in the NBA as a point guard. The other thing with his shooting, this is something that when you watch, you notice it and it is something hopefully that can be easily correctable and repped out uh, in the off seasons with the player development coaches for whatever team that he goes to is he doesn't have anything wrong in terms of his shot mechanics. This isn't a Lonzo ball situation where the ball is on the wrong side of the head or something super funky. He needs more consistency with his base and with the way that he lands, because when you watch him shoot threes, especially this happens on threes mainly. So to improve his three point shooting, he either, when you watch a great shooter, they either jump straight up and down, land in very similar spots. Suggs likes to kick out his legs. Sometimes one leg goes in front, see there's right leg, left leg. Sometimes they go wide. Sometimes they go narrow. It's all over the place. Very inconsistent landing spots, landing ways. If he can improve that and get more consistent 
with his base on his three-point shooting and his base, he has a chance to be a really, really good NBA player because then you can start really punishing teams. Guys, teams would go under him in college on ball screens for just dare him to take those off-the-dribble threes. The more consistent he can get on those, he can punish those teams because teams will go under on him initially in the NBA. If he can do that, he has a chance to be a really, really dangerous player. And then just, you know, areas to improve on. Not many seven-footers, seven-foot-one guys who can really protect the rim in college, but in the NBA, almost every team has one. The ability to just, you know, keep finishing inside, crafty finishes. We saw it with R.J. Barrett. If you have these guys who are so good, so athletic their whole lives, then they get to the NBA and they have trouble with their, like, go-to moves and just flying towards the rim. Barrett did a really good job this year of, coming up with a couple counter moves. Suggs already has those little floaters, but the more he can improve upon with varied finishes, uh, floaters, off balance, you know, uh, mistimed jumps with the jump with, with, with a shot blocker, uh, wrong foot finishes, those types of things to keep finishing around inside. Because sometimes, you know, you saw against BYU with Harms, who is seven foot three. He had, you know, he, 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 he could have a little trouble with the size inside if he's just flying into guys trying to use his athleticism. And in the NBA, there's just a lot of guys who can protect the rim. It's not something he's bad at. It's just something to improve upon because that's just the NBA game. And I think that if he improves on, on these areas 5 to 10%, he has a chance to, to be an all-star by year three, year four. Because when I look at him, evaluation as of today, because obviously a lot of things can happen from now now to the draft is this guy's a potential all-star this guy has a lot of the a lot of the skills that a lot of all-star guards have in the nba competes extremely hard can score can defend if he irons out and really reps out his shot to improve consistency and he's up to 36 37 that could be huge and i just think he's a low risk high potential type player whoever picks him in the top five I don't it's going to be hard to to think that Jalen Suggs is going to bust out of the NBA this guy has a really good chance to stick around in the league for a long time and I and I think have a really good chance to be an an all-star type player and it's going to be really exciting to see where he goes he won a lot in college hopefully he can go to a team like Toronto that is closer to winning than than some other teams but it's going to be really exciting to see where where he goes because I think he has a chance to be a really good player in the NBA. So we're going to come back, uh, do another one of these, probably probably either Thursday or Friday, uh, another uh, draft evaluation, and we're going to go with uh, Cade Cunningham, the lead the leader in the clubhouse right now for the number one pick, guard Oklahoma State. Uh, another really good player, another guy we really liked, really liked watching in college. We're going to do Cunningham next and talk about the NBA Finals and, and just d- digest it all. So that'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We will be back hopefully tomorrow. Take care and make it a great day.